in your Bible with me there. And the reason I say the book of Jude is because I'm gearing up for a new series in the book of Romans that'll start in a, in a few weeks. I've titled that series, Just Faith. And uh, again, we'll be starting that uh, in just a few weeks. And in the meantime, um, I was studying for a men's retreat that I'm doing, and I was given the topic in, in the book of, of Jude. And so I've been there for the last couple of weeks. So I thought, you know, this is pretty interesting and it's really fitting as to the times in which we live. So um, I was going to share some of those things with you this morning. We're going to focus in on verses one through four, but, 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 are you listening? Are you with me? I mean, this is, what I'm about to tell you is going to make some of your days today. Not all of yours, but it will make some of yours. Some of you are thinking, you know, Bible study, it's a little tough. Reading the Bible on a day-to-day -day basis, man, it's just, it's, it's hard. You know, and then thinking about maybe the last time I really read an entire book of the Bible. And I didn't want to ask, I don't want you to raise your hands to that. Obviously, I know you went through the book of Philippians if you were here. And if you're with John on Wednesday night, we've covered a lot of ground. So you're going through books, right? But how many of you could say in one day, one day, you read an entire book of the Bible? We're going to do that today. We're going to read an entire, you're going to leave church today going, yeah, I read a whole book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You are blessed today. So we're, we are gonna, we're gonna do just that. Um, Jude, it's not a long book. Like I said, it's only 25 verses in it. If you, my translation, that's 613 words and yours might be more or less. So it's pretty much a small book, but it has so much to say and very, very important for the day in which we live. He wrote this letter to encourage the church. And obviously, uh, and he does it in a way that, you know, scripture tells us that, we are to be at peace with all men as much as it's possible with us, right? And then sometimes it's just impossible. And that's kind of the days in which we live. And, and so Jude here is writing about, there's a word and you want to write this down. He's writing about apostasy here, you know, mean to be apostate, to, to apostatize. It's a word that means to defect from the truth. And, and what he's speaking of here is people who have either uh, never had the truth. They've, they've come into the church. You know, the church always has people that that don't walk in truth, that really don't care to walk in truth. Uh, they come for a lot of different reasons. Probably the larger the church is, uh, the more apt you are to have that because in a church our size, it's pretty easy to find people right away. But in a large church, I mean, years ago, you know, people would come in and you know, I, I remember in particular one, this is so far gone, you wouldn't, you couldn't even remember the person anyway, or even the, even the job that they had. But um, they came to the church and uh, he was looking at my car and he said, uh, you know, Pastor Mike, he said, uh, man, I'd like to, I'd like to help you out, you know, with your car. And I said, so what's up? And he goes, ah, I was noticing your tires on the way in. He goes, they're, they're kind of bald, you know, and he goes, you need some new tires. And I go, you know what? I go, my wife and I were just talking about that. I go, yeah, we're thinking about that. I go, why? And he goes, well, just so happens. He goes, I'm in the tire business. I go, really? And he goes, yeah, I'll cut you a good deal. I go, well, you don't need to do that. I need, I need tires. I go, man, I'd just like to bless you, you know, as a brother in the Lord. He says, oh no. So he gives me his card and uh, he's, he's, you know, he's high up in the, in the company so he can make those decisions. So I go down there and man, he does. He makes me a killer deal. I mean, he makes me a deal that I can't confuse in hopes that I would do what I'm doing right now, but he's not here and he doesn't go here any longer. So it doesn't matter what, what I would say, but I did do that. I said, man, this is guy I was in a sermon and I see he's smiling and stuff. And then I saw him after, after church that day and he had a stack of cards. He had like a hundred cards. He was just going like this. I mean, he was all over the church, right? He's just handing out cards right and left. And I go, man, he's doing, you know, you know, you bless somebody and you get blessed too type of thing, right? And about five months later, he was gone. He was just wasn't here. I, and I asked people, hey, did you see so-and-so? Well, I, ran, I, I went down, I drove by there and I said, you know, hey, what are you doing? He goes, oh, well, I'm going over to this church now. The Lord led me. I go, he led you? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so we got to talking about it. And I said, well, it seems like, you know, that you, you did pretty good. And he was like, yeah, man, I picked up a lot of business. And uh, so it was pretty evident, you know, after, after he got done that he was only here for one reason. It wasn't here because he loved me, he loved you, he loved the Lord. It was, this was great picking. And it was free advertisement. Like I said, he, he gave me, you know, a good deal. 
I promoted him from the pulpit. And, and next thing you know, boom. And then, like I said, just a few months later, he's gone. Now, there's an upside to the downside in that. There was a lot of people that got really good deals on tires. Okay. But that's not the goal of the church, right? But that's what happens. And, and, and you see it, we call it networking, right? And it's big in the church today. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And we, and we should, in a sense, help people out that way. But isn't that one of the reasons that we see Jesus in his indignation in, in, in Scripture, where he's, he's at the temple, right? And, and we, we think about, especially talking about the book of Jude today and contending for the faith. I'm going to really land on that verse, what it means to, to contend. It, it's, it, it speaks of being, you know, contending is, is fighting. And I, I titled this message this morning, you know, fight the good fight, you know, uh, fight, you know, you could say, you know, fight for something worth fighting for, you know, uh, there's a lot of battles that we see in the world today. And there are things that just, you know, in five years, is it going to matter? Or 10 years, is it going to matter? If you're going to fight about something, man, fight about something that has eternal value. And, and so much of what we see in life today, there's everything is so politicized and everything else. And it won't matter in five years. It doesn't even matter in 24 hours in the truest sense, but people get all worked up, you know, we're all these things. And so here, you know, we're reminded in scripture that we need to contend, but not be contentious, right? But yet when you study the life of Jesus, sometimes we get the wrong picture of Jesus. We think about meekness means power under constraint, right? But it doesn't mean that Jesus did never get mad. It doesn't mean that Jesus never yelled at people. It doesn't mean that Jesus never, you know, said things that were offensive to many people. When you think about the things that, that he did, like I said, uh, here he is walking into the church and or the, in Solomon's porch there, and he comes up and he does what? He turns over the, the money changers' tables, right? And if you've ever been to Israel and seen what those tables would have looked like, they, they were marble. They were solid. Those things could have weighed not just hundreds of pounds, but, but thousands of pounds. And Jesus, in his righteous indignation, he throws these over, right? He said, you've turned my father's house, which is a house of prayer, into what? To a den of thieves, right? You remember to, to the Pharisees, he called them brood of vipers, right? What, what does that mean? He goes, you children of the snake. You go, wow, that wasn't very, you know, kind people would say. You know, Jesus, you know, does he confront people like that? And you go all through the scriptures. He called them whitewashed tombs, right? They were, they were dead men's bones. They were just, you know, they were, they were just dead men walking, so to speak. I mean, he had no problem calling people out. And so we don't want to misunderstand what, what it means to contend here. But as we look at this, like I said, he's talking about specifically men, you know, could be women, men, anybody who creeps into the church. You might say they come through the side door, so to speak, unnoticed in, in the truest sense, leading people astray. Instead of leading people to Christ through the teaching of God's word, you have instead of the doctrine of God, it becomes the doctrines of men. And those are so prevalent today. And the only safeguard that you have is finding yourself in a church where you're reading the Bible together and you're studying the Bible together. When it just comes down to just, you know, this, you know, discussion over this. And, and most, you know, I'm mean, hearing a lot of, you know, teachings today. They no longer, you know, say it's a sermon, you know, that we're going to give, a, you know, a talk or uh, we're going to have something to, to kind of, soften it so that it doesn't come along off as preaching to somebody, you know, preaching to people. But yet that's, you know, what the Bible says, the foolishness of preaching does what? It brings people to repentance. And so trusting, you know, what God's word says, but let's read this together. And then we'll, we'll, we'll look at verses one through four, but we're going to read the whole book. We're going to read the whole book today. So, so read along with me here and start in verse one. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was for all, once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, have gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, all these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring an accusation against him, a reviling accusation. He said, the Lord rebuke you, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have greedily in the heir of Balaam for prophet, who perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the spots in your love feast, while they feast with you, and without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds of late autumn, trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are ungodly among them and of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, as we read this book, we can see why we don't hear much about it in churches today. Maybe the, the last verse or two, but really the, it can be so hard. It's so convicting. Uh, it's calling out, Lord, what you're calling out. You said, Lord Jesus, what, what you spoke uh, in private, we were to proclaim in the sense from the rooftops to make it known. And Lord, you called the church to contend earnestly for the faith. And Lord, if there's ever a day when we need to contend, it's today. And I pray that you would equip us today, that, Lord, you would uh, set us apart, sanctify us afresh, Lord, as we sanctify you afresh in our own hearts. I thank you for these that are here today, those that are watching online, Lord, from home. Uh, Lord, we've come because we desire to worship you, to grow in you, Lord, to serve you and to give you your honor, that you and you alone are worthy to be praised. And so we love you today. We look forward to not just what you'll speak to us, but, Lord, the difference you'll make in our life today and the difference you'll make through our life this week, Lord. We pray, we pray for opportunity as we have a booth at the fair this year that God, you'd send the right people, Lord, those that God you've anointed for such a time as this to be able to be there to encourage or to pray with people, to, to point people, to just simply be a light in a, in a very dark place. And, and I thank you for those that God uh, you'll raise up for this moment and may you bless them. And uh, we just give you this time, give you this service today. We pray that you'd be glorified in it, Lord Jesus, as we pray. We all agreed saying amen. Amen. So there in verse one, you know, when you see, he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God, 
the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that his name literally means Judas, right? But to avoid, you know, obviously being uh, connected there to the infamous Judas Iscariot, uh, our English translators changed that to Jude. Uh, Jude was the brother of James, and both you recall Jude and James were both half-brothers of Jesus. As you study the New Testament, you'll find there are six other people named Judas there. Uh, we know uh, most likely, like I said, this is you know pretty much without doubt, this is uh, uh, the brother, half-brother of Jesus. We find it in, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 13, Mark chapter 6. It speaks of him. Uh, and one of the interesting things I find about this is that uh, they didn't come to believe, you know, obviously, that Jesus was the Messiah until after his resurrection, right? I mean, they grew up with him. You know, John 7, uh, verse 5 says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. You know, some people go, did Jesus have brothers? You go, yes. We find in Scripture that he had multiple brothers and sisters, too. It wasn't, you know, uh, as the Catholic Church would teach that, you know, Mary only had Jesus. No, he had brothers and he had sisters. They all came after him, obviously, uh, but he had a big family. He had a loving family. And uh, uh, obviously, we, as we studied the Bible, they were very, very concerned about Jesus. They actually thought, you know, Jesus had lost his mind uh, at some points here. But we know that, and, and I love this, and I want to really land on this for a moment here. You know, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14 in particular, uh, we find that Jude uh, was in the upper room there uh, just before Pentecost, right? So we know that he, he became a believer, obviously, you know, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it says something, you know, that's important for us there. And it's, a, it's such a beautiful reminder, you know, that it's the resurrection that changes people's lives. It's not just that Jesus died, but that he rose again, right? And, and, it, and it brought Jude to a saving faith to see his brother, who he grew up with, to see him crucified. Then three days later, to see him risen from the dead. That was so powerful, so impacting for him. And it's also, it serves as a great reminder for us. You know, how many by show of hands, you have unsaved family members or loved ones? And, and how many would say that you have unsaved family members and they've been unsaved for many, many years that, and you've tried sharing with them, you've witnessed them. Man, I, I just want to encourage you with this. Think about this for a second. Jude was the half brother of Jesus, right? And he didn't come to a saving knowledge of faith until after the resurrection. And we pretty much know that Jesus was what? 33 years of age, right? So Jude grew up. Think about that. He grew up in the very presence of God in his home. He didn't just hear God. He saw God and he knew him, you know, and yet he rejected the truth of God until it was later in his life until he experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ for himself. And, and I want to encourage you that because it's so important, you know, that for those of us that have unbelieving family members, you never know. You never know when the grace of God is going to grip their heart. We're just called to be faithful to do what? To water and to plant. And yet what happens? We get so frustrated. We just go, I give up. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't give up on you? And I am so glad that he didn't give up on me. And, and it was such an encouragement. I thought about this, you know, this week as I was studying, you know, we, we had a memorial service for my brother-in-law, uh, Tim, yesterday, and my sister-in-law, Michelle, my wife's sister, um, and her husband. And Tim, you know, hearing the stories yesterday, it was really interesting because he grew up knowing about Jesus, but he walked away from Jesus. He didn't apply the truth that he knew. And yet, at the end of his life, he knew what the truth was, and, and, he, and he turned his heart back to God. And people could say, well, well, that was like a deathbed confession. You go, absolutely. You go, and sometimes those are the best ones uh, because it really rips off the devil. If you want to really make the devil mad, you know, is when somebody's lived like hell and then ultimately at the end of their life, you know, turn to God. You go, but the sad thing for them is that they missed out on so much of what God desired for them in their lifetime. Praise God for his grace and his mercy. And we'll really, when I talk about just faith in the book of Romans, I think you'll really start to comprehend, hopefully in a new way and some for just a great reminder, a fresh way about how profound the grace of God is. But, you know, it, for someone to go, oh, I'm just going to live my life my way and then I'm going to turn to God at the end. Well, that's pretty risky too. 
because like I was sharing yesterday, not everybody has that opportunity. Some people, you know, die in accidents and they never have a time to think about, you know, my brother-in-law was blessed with, you know, at least a year where though he had cancer and he was dying of cancer, he had an opportunity to talk and to ask questions and to think and to pray and to talk to God and to die in peace because he'd made peace with God. But I can tell you this, that that's not God's ultimate desire for me and for you. His desire is that we'd walk with him every day, that we'd know the peace of God throughout our life. Why, why live like hell, you know, and then wait till the very last second to pray? You go, that doesn't even make sense, does it? But people say, well, I'll just do that. And you go, well, I'm not saying you can't do that because we, we see it in scripture. We see the thief on the cross. You go, not really the way you want to go out, you know, convicted of a crime, nailed to a cross. You know, that's, he's dying for his sin, right? I mean, I would rather, you know, be taken up, wouldn't you? You know, it's, you walk with God and then was no more. Uh, or just go in your sleep, you go in peace, right? Uh, for me personally, I'd like to go, Al Kirkland, one of a great friend of our family's growing up, gave me, he owned a sporting goods store here in Bakersfield. And Al had a brain aneurysm riding his bike in Long Beach on the, on the boardwalk, you know, there at the beach, you know, beach on your left, riding along 630 in the morning. Next thing you know, you're in heaven. You know, it's like that, that would be the way, you know, to go. No pain, just choop, you're, you're just in the presence of God. And that's what God desires for us is that we know that peace. And so, you know, as we, we look at this, you know, there's so much we can glean from this. You know, he's a bond servant. He says, you know, of Jesus Christ, meaning that he was humble. He didn't, he didn't play the brother card. You know, people, again, that whole networking thing, right? It's not what you know, it's what? It's who you know, right? So he's, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the brother of Jesus. Jesus is my brother. Does that get me in? You know, it's like, yeah, it might some places, you know. Uh, but with Jesus, he didn't play it up. He played that down. Luke chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus said, someone said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. They cried out you know, to a woman from the crowd. And Jesus said, but he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That was his response. Hmm. Mark's gospel, chapter three, verse 31 says, then his brothers and his mother came because they got word and they told me he's gone nuts. He's lost his mind. You guys need to come get him. It says, and they standing outside the house where Jesus was ministering, they're calling to him. Try to picture that. It says, and the multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers, they're outside. They're seeking you. It says, but Jesus answered them saying, who is my mother or brothers? And he looked around in a circle to those who sat about him. And he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. What was he saying? You know, he wasn't making his blood relationships the pinnacle of his life. It was the blood that he would shed on Calvary's cross that would make you and I blood brothers and blood sisters that he, that he elevated to the highest peak. But there's no question, you know, that Jude obviously valued the relationship that he enjoyed with his brothers. I love what he says there. It says he, three things. He says, they were called. What are, to know that you're called, you know, called of God. How are we called of God? And that's why it's important. You can't just, you know, and it's so frustrating as a pastor, when people sit around and you have these moments, you know, that you can talk about God with people and, you, and you, we tell them the dumbest things. You know, thinking that if we get on their level, that will get them to come to Jesus. And you go, it doesn't. What brings them to Jesus is the gospel. The gospel, knowing the word of God that pierces their heart and soul. That's what brings them to Jesus. Trying to come up with some fun, cute, you know, whatever story you come up with. It doesn't, they might remember that. And the devil loves that. Isn't it amazing how we remember dumb stories? And forget scripture, right? Well, I remember the dumb story that the pastor told, but I just can't remember, you know, scripture. No, they're called, called by God to hear God's voice. See, because I tell you that, and then what's your desire? When you pass from this life and you stand before God for the very first time, what do you want to hear? Silence? You go, oh, finally, peace and quiet. No. What do you want? I want to hear, that's exactly, I want to hear Jesus say, well done, what? good. And I want to hear his voice. His word, our Bible is his voice. God wants to speak to us. He says, we're called, sanctified by God, 
preserved in Jesus Christ. They're set apart. What does that mean to be set apart? God has a purpose for your life. Jude's reminding that you, you are alive for such a time as this. Like I tell, told you, you know, the best time to ever been born was when Jesus walked on this earth. You could have sat with him and touched him, saw him. But the next best time, church, it's today. It's to be that generation that has the opportunity to lead. I could, man, wouldn't this be awesome that you shared Jesus with somebody and that person says, I believe, and they got saved and they were the last Gentile to believe. And guess what? All of a sudden, dun, 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 and we're out of here, right? I mean, imagine how you'd be in heaven. Yeah, I'm from Bakersfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're somebody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then think about this. And then preserved in Jesus Christ. I don't mean pickled, you know, like you're putting a jar or something like your grandparents used to do when they made stuff, you know? But preserved from danger, from damage, from defilement, and ultimately from damnation, right? That's what he's preserving us from. I mean, to think you are immortal until the day that you go to meet the Lord. Not, no weapon formed against you can prosper. I mean, you're, you, you are on God's time on his schedule. You know, worrying about your life isn't going to add a single second to it. It can take a whole bunch maybe away in that regard. But God will still know. He's like, I knew you were going to be here. I wanted you to be here longer, but, you know, you're worried about everything and you'd wiped off 10 years, you know, from your life. But that word preserve means to carefully guard or protect. God is your protector, amen? And how many times did John go through that in the Psalms about God being our defender, God being our protector, God being our strong tower, God being the rock, you know, being our shelter, all these things. God, 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 God. That's, he's, he's everything. Verse two goes on, it says, mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. I mean, those are the, the dividends, you might say, of being in the Lord's army. You know, we always used to sing that as kids, you know, being in, being in the Lord's army. Mercy, peace, and love. And you go, he, he's a little bit different than the Apostle Paul, but I think I figured out why. I'd have to check with John later on if I'm right on this. But, but you know, but Paul always says, you see, what is he, when he shares, he always says, what, grace and peace, right? Whatever you see, they're like, Twin sisters, grace and peace, or bookends, you know. But here, here, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, mercy, peace, and love. And, and, and I love that, because what is mercy? By definition, we always say mercy is not getting what I deserve, right? And grace is what? Is getting what I don't deserve, right? Well, I think if Jesus was your half-brother, mercy would probably be on your mind more than grace, right? I mean, you think about it, you know, try to imagine this, growing up in the same household, you know, with Jesus. Remember, you know, Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? And uh, most homes, when you mess up, what, what, do, what do your siblings say? I'm going to tell who? Mom, right? In, in Jesus' household, what do they do? They go, I'm going to tell Jesus. I'm going to tell Jesus. I'm going to tell Jesus on you. Uh, and, and you think about that, you know, it's like mom checking, you know, not with the siblings of Jesus. What, what did your brothers and sisters do? He only told the truth, right? You, they, he never, co he covered for you, but he covered for you on the cross. But he didn't cover for you, you know, for mom. And see, oh, so what do you need more than anything else? Mercy, mercy. And <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad I didn't get what I deserved. Man, and when you're aware of your sinfulness, man, you are so aware of God's mercy in your life. Imagine, you know, their brothers and sisters, they go, do you promise, promise that you'll, promise you'll do, do what I'm telling you? They go, swear to Jesus, you know, as it had been fun being in that household. Jesus, I forgot to do my chores. Could you just like really quick, you know, hey, we're thinking about making something for mom for Christmas, you know. All he had to do is, it says he spoke it into existence, right? Mom, what do you want? Tables and chairs. He's a carpenter. Tables and chairs. What kind? What color? What tree? Redwood? They go, they don't have redwoods around here. Go, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> it's like, you know, I just like it. Just, just, just to let my mind go, wow, what, what it'd been like to, to be with Jesus. But I want to give you this, in the true sense, these definitions. Mercy means God's compassionate comfort there in times of conflict and stress. That's what he's really speaking of there. 
compassionate comfort in times of conflict and stress, peace, the serenity and the confidence that comes from relying on God's word and looking beyond the circumstances to the one who what? Controls all the circumstances. You want peace? Yeah. That God's in whatever you're going through and he's using whatever you're going through for his purpose, for his glory, and ultimately for your good. That doesn't always make sense. You know, when you're, when you're hurting, you're going through difficult things, but there's always a purpose to God's pain that we go through in this life. How about love? Love. I'd say the, the undeserved embrace of God. The love that he has for his children. I might say super, super affection. And that's an affection that he wants us to share with others. And so here Jude says, and I love this, he says, be multiplied to you. Be multiplied. It demonstrates his heart and what he, what he desires for the. It wasn't enough just to have mercy and peace and love. But he says, let it be multiplied. Let it be multiplied to you. And that's really, that's my prayer for, for you today as a church. I pray that God would multiply to you today his mercy and his peace and his love. Think about that for a second. Is there anybody in your life this week that you could reach out to? And you can just say, hey, I just want you to know, I, I pray that God's mercy and his peace and his love would be multiplied to you. So I think when you send that to somebody and you really think it through, I think it gives you an opportunity to feel what Jude felt, his heart. He, he wanted that for the people that he loved. And it does something not only for them to hear a good word, but it does something to you to be able to deliver that good word. Because there's so many other words that are utilized in the world today. You just be able to say, may God's mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you this week. I, I love that. Verse three goes on, it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. This is really what wanted to spend the time this morning, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. He says, you know, I was very diligent to write to you. You know, this wasn't his original intent. He, he started off just to write a nice, you know, fluffy, you know, warm, just encouraging letter. And then the Holy Spirit moved him. And thank God for men and women who allow themselves to be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to be moved of God. I mean, there's times when, you know, I'll come in and I go, I, I feel like, hey, this is the message I'm going to share. And in the middle of it, God just moves you. And there's been times, sadly, where I just fought through it and stayed with what I had and didn't go with, you know, because, I, you know, out of fear of like, Lord, okay, this is, you know. And you go, well, it really can't go wrong because this is, this is your word. But, but there's a perfect will of God and there's a permissive will of God. And, and we want to be in that perfect will of God. And God leads us by his spirit. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it. You know, it's not that we're, ooh. He said, I'll pray to the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit in my name, who will be with you. And he says, and he will lead you and guide you. And he will bring to remembrance what? All the words that I've spoken to you. He'll quicken those things to you, but he'll be with you in this life. You're not going to be alone. He's there with you every step of the way. And it's so important you know, that we, we be spirit-led. And I appreciate that when I read this about Jude. He had a different direction he wanted to go, but this is the direction that was needed. That's so important. It kind of reminds me of a quote I read this week. It said, Christians are not on a playground, but we're on a battleground. Would you agree? Yeah, th this world isn't a playground. This is a battlefield. And it's for keeps. Every person's for keeps. He says, you know, concerning our common salvation. So it's not like the rich had one ability to get saved. The poor had another thing. No, it's, it's one message and it's for everybody. We say this, the ground at the foot of the cross is what? It's level, right? And there's room for all of us there. And, and again, so, so important for us to understand. You know, we're part of, you know, obviously a community that, that uh, again, and how we come to Christ. You know, it's interesting, you know, during COVID, we learned a lot about the value of the church, amen? 
about the need to be together. You know, I, I read a poll, you know, 2020 was an online survey. It was taken during COVID, during the lockdown. Pay attention to this. During the pandemic, and it found 70% of all Americans who go to church say you can be a good Christian without going to church. Think about that. 70% of all Americans believe that you could go to church or that you could be a good Christian without going to church. Can you? When you think about that, everybody was locked out of the church, right? So what about the 30%? That's really the most important thing. You couldn't go to church. So, you know, I mean, that's a scary thought about even statistics with regard to the church. It's not really even true. I just made it up. I just want you to know. I was just seeing if you were tracking with me. I was just, some of you, I got your brains going. I was looking at you. You were going 70, 30. No, there was a poll taken though. And just a common across the Gallup poll. But 70% of Americans believe that you can be a good Christian without going to church. And I would stand here today and tell you, it's impossible. You can't. It'd be virtually impossible because you have to deny, you know, again, people, oh, I don't agree with you, Pastor Mike. I don't care if you agree with me. I really don't. Just read your Bible because your Bible doesn't agree with you. Because it says doctrine, see, apostate to be, you know, an apostate church is a church that does what? That drifts away from what? The truth of God's word. Well, we know what the church looks like because who started the church? Did we start the church or did God start the church? And if God started the church, how did he start the church? In the book of Acts, that was the birth of the church, correct? And in the birth of the church, it says that they continued, the church continued what? Steadfastly in what? What does it say? Four things. The apostles doctrine. What, that, what does that mean? Teaching or instruction, right? What was the next word? Fellowship. Fellowship. One is a lonely number, isn't it? Fellowship. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We are what? The body of Christ. We are part of one another. Now you go, can you be a shut-in or a lock-in in prison? Yes, yes. There's all kinds of... We're not legalistic about it. You go, what is the purpose though? Is that we'd be in fellowship. I'm talking about being a good Christian. I'm not talking about going through seasons of life and change where, like I said, whether you have to be isolated or you're ill or what. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the health and the well-being of the body of Christ. We were meant to be together. We were meant to be connected to one another. And Jude would express that here because that's what the lie of the world is today is that you don't need church. You just need your own personal, you know, like people go, I have my own thing with God. You go, no, that you sit on the throne of your, of your, own, of your own religion. But the church was founded on the, on the Apostles' Creed, which teaches explicitly that they continued steadfast in their doctrine, in their fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And whenever you see that taking place in the New Testament, is it isolated and alone? You go, no. Wasn't that the punishment that they tried to levy against John on the Isle of Patmos to try to, to try to isolate him from the very thing that he desired more than anything else? And it demonstrates that God wins, but it demonstrates his heart. It's not that you can't be alone. Some people have to be alone. I can think of, you know, Pam right now, gone through cancer treatment. I'm just blessed that she's here today. That, that's a victory in itself, but it's not an everyday victory because this, this life, we have to deal with illness. We've got to deal with disease. We've got to deal with not feeling well. And, but I can tell you what, every time I talk to them, one of their greatest desires, one of their greatest joys of an entire week, and it should humble us all, is they go, we get to be in church on Sunday. We get to be there. Like David would say, I was... I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. You go, yeah. And so many people, well, you know, I can just stay at home. I can stay in my pajamas. I'll watch online. And I'm not saying because you're isolated, because you're sick. I think you understand what I'm saying. It's the selfishness of the human heart that says I can have it my way. And you go and you can to a certain degree, but it won't bring you what you want. It won't provide for you what you really need. Only Jesus does. And it's on his terms that he does it. And so he ex exhorts them, he says, you know, to contend earnestly for the faith. And I, I love this because 
Again, that Greek word there translated contend, it comes from, it's an athletic word. It comes from wrestling. And it really means to, to agonize, to, to contend. It speaks of hard and really diligent work. And so he's calling you and I as believers that we are to contend. He goes, it's hard, it's agonizing. You ever really spend a lot of time praying for people that don't know the Lord? I mean, just in praying and, and dedicating time and effort and energy uh, to people who don't love you and don't care about you and, and will spitefully use you, Jesus said. And you think about it. He knew all that. You know, no wonder he was perspiring blood drops in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he was going to suffer through for me and for you and how ungrateful and unthankful that we would be towards him. But the verb there translated contended, contended earnestly. It's in the present infinitive uh, language there. It means that the Christian struggle that you and I are in is that it's continuous. It doesn't come to an end until when? Until we meet Jesus face to face. What did Paul say? I have fought the good fight, right? I have kept the faith. It's one of the things I, I was able to share with my brother-in-law. I go, Tim, you know, one of the beautiful things about what happened here is you won. You finished the, the race. You know, you made a vow. You stood at an altar with Michelle and you said, I promise to love you and honor you and care for you until death do us part. How many, people, how many people do you know have fulfilled that vow? And you go, he got to fulfill it. And there's something fulfilling about that. There's something comforting about that. God has baked that into his word. It provides then what? A peace that surpasses even our own understanding. You go, but he had cancer. And you go, yeah, that, that was terrible. But it was the cancer that actually provided the opportunity for them to experience love at a level that they would not ever have known. See, one of the things about love, when you really love somebody and you want to show somebody love, you know, you know how to define that? You think about this for a second. Is when you do something for somebody who has no ability to pay you back. That's love. They can't pay you back. That's what love is. See, like I said, the Bible makes clear sinners can love. It says, but sinners love because of what they get in return. You watch it every single day. But the agape love of God is going, I'm giving you something that, what, what are you going to give in return? Nothing, nothing. What, what could we give Jesus in return for his death upon the cross? We have nothing. All we can say is thank you. Say, thank you and God bless you, God. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. And you know what? That's all he desires. He healed 10 lepers. One came back and said, thank you. I love that expression Max Licato said of worship. He said, worship is the thank you that, that can't be silenced. You think about that. You know, when we worship God, it's, we're, we're just saying thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for all that you've done for me. And yet we, we can't make the mistake here as we think about contending for the faith. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. Like I said, being, you know, in a place where we contend without being contentious. We testify without ruining Jesus' testimony. But he's exhorting you, is what he said, exhorting to contend earnestly. It's individual. It's not just, hey, the church does that. It's that you would do that in your life. And you go, and how do we do it? We contend for the faith. That's, that's what he's talking about. Contend earnestly for the faith once and for all that was delivered to the saints. There's a lot of contention in the world. There's a lot of, there's fights going on every day over everything in this world. But he makes clear what we're to contend for. The faith, the faith the faith that we place in God that was delivered to the saints. So the faith doesn't mean your personal belief and you know what you think it's the faith. That, that phrase means there, the, you think about this, the essential truths of the gospel that all true Christians hold in common, okay? The essentials, the essentials. And when it talks about the faith there, when 
Jude brings this up. He's talking about, you know, in the New Testament, this body of truth, Christian truth. Like I said, it's not just, eh, you know, hey, they believe, I have this belief, and you go, oh my gosh. And, and as Christians, we sit around and we listen to that, and we go, okay, well, that works for you. It's like, no, it won't. Yeah, all roads do lead to heaven, but only the cross and the blood of Jesus get you in. Because when I say all roads lead to heaven, the Bible says it's appointed a man to die and then meet God. We all have a, a, an opportunity to see God face to face, meet with him and be judged by him, either to eternal life in his presence or eternal life in hell apart from him. And so we contend for the faith. He didn't say, you know, like a faith, like uh, people will tell me, people are on church say, well, Pastor Mike, all that's important is that they, they believe that they have a faith. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It says the faith, the faith. Oh, well, I have a hard time with that. <laughs> Take it up with God because that's who you're going to be talking to. And what are you going to tell them one day? Well, God, you know, I just didn't agree. You know, you go, maybe like Job, you'll just have your hand over your mouth. You won't be saying anything. We say a lot now, but nothing then. And so again, we talk about the faith. We could symbolically, you could just place the apostles doctrine that you see there in Acts 2.42. All through scripture, the faith. Those important terms. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul exhorts us as believers. He says, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from what? The faith. I mean, think about this for a second. The Ivy League schools, right? You think of schools like Yale and Princeton, Columbia, Brown, Dartmouth, you know, Cornell, some people now want to throw Stanford in there. Um, those schools started as missionary outposts. Think about this. They started with the desire to train young men and young women in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the faith, to send them out to do what? To reach the world. These are the most prestigious schools in our country, right? And you go, and what's happened in less than 200 years? What's happened? Are the Ivy League schools today known for their faith? Are they known for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? No, they're known predominantly for apostasy. They, they're, they're fulfilling the very word of God. That they have left the faith. They've changed the, you know, the message from evangelism to what? Enlightenment. Enlightenment progressive thinking. It's all around us. And yet, here's Jude says, but it was once and delivered to the saints. Now, what does he, what does he mean by that? Once and for all, it was delivered to the saints. Well, if you, if you take the book of Revelation, obviously the last book of the Bible, we know that that was circulating in about 100 AD, right? So the last message that God had for the church was in AD 100. There's no other book. You know, again, when, when Jude is, is saying this, he goes, God has delivered to us once and for all, okay? We, we, have, we have the messages of God. And ultimately, scholars got together. We have the canonized scripture that's accepted that it was the teaching in the time of Jesus, that it was from the apostles and the early church fathers, you know, concur with this. So you can take that back to AD 100. So then anything that would come after that, and we still have those things today, right? I mean, think about predominantly the Book of Mormon, right? Joseph Smith said, you know, that he had this, this dream or this vision, and God told him that, you know, that all the, the things that, you know, people had learned prior to that, that they were, they were wrong. You know, don't go to any church is what he said, because all the churches are wrong. But that this angel Moroni, you know, had given him a revelation, a new revelation, you know, and you go, well, if you knew your Bible at that time, what would you have said? You'd say, well, the book of Jude says not to listen to you because God has delivered to us once and for all. There's nothing new. 
So would that, what would that say about then Islam and the Quran? Same thing. And people get so frustrated with that. And you go, well, it's not because I'm saying that. You go, that's what the word of God declares. God said, there's nothing coming after this. If you're looking for anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ as your savior and the Lord of your life, you are burning daylight and you are wasting your time because there is no one coming after Jesus. He is God's final message, his messenger. And he not only came once, but he's coming again. He came as the lamb of God, but he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah, contending in that day for the faith. And until that day, we're called to contend as well. So you look there in verse four. So he says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is dangerous. Because grace is so freeing. And, and again, whether it was the Judaizers who came along and said, well, you know, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you need to be circumcised too, and you need to practice the Levitical law. Always wanting to bring people into bondage, right? As opposed to the message of the gospel is what Jesus said, the truth you'll know and truth will always set you free. Truth never brings you into bondage at all. And it's amazing that people go, oh, I don't want to, you know, I, I watch a whole bunch of people this week. You know, that, that think freedom is a certain thing. Like, I can do whatever I want, you know. I can, and, and then you watch just the misery of one bad decision after another, after another, after another. Because God is too cumbersome to them. Because they got it figured out, you know, you know, that they think that they can just have a relationship with Jesus and they can have it on their own terms and just continue on in their own ways and everything will be hunky-dory. So the question you always ask is, how's that working for you? And it doesn't. It doesn't. And yet there are so many pulpits that are full today of men and women alike who are teaching the very opposite of what God's grace would accomplish in our life. So he says that they, they crept in unnoticed. That's what makes it so scary. Like I said, it's, they crept in or they slipped in. You know, it's like being on a, one of those... You know, creepers. They, don't they even call them that, creepers? Like if you get under a car, get on a creeper, you go underneath to work on, work on a car. That's how they come in. They come in on creepers. So if you ever see a guy, gal coming into the church on a creeper, is, no, you go, but, then, but it doesn't happen that way, right? It's kind of like Satan, right? Does Satan wear a red cape? Does he have horns and pitchfork? I mean, that'd be really easy. We go, hey, you guys. You go, no. If you're a girl, you know, he's really handsome. And if you're a guy, you know, she's beautiful. You know, all these things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, Satan, I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said, Satan knows right well that one devil in the church can do far more than a thousand devils outside her bounds. That's so true. And yet we can rest in this, says who are long ago marked out for this condemnation. They have a destiny. You know, we don't necessarily see when it happens, but God already knows. Don't say that, you know, oh, see, God predestined them, so they don't have a choice. No, they have a choice, but God's marked them. He knows. Ungodly men. Again, what is it saying? They turn the grace of God into lewdness. So they've received the grace of God. They understand it. They've tasted of it. But they turn it into an excuse. And you see that all the time. People go, oh, see, we're saved by God's grace. You know, it's a gift, right? Yes, it is a gift. So they go, okay, well, I'll take the gift and then just go on. And you go outside and you smoke a joint and you go have a few beers and you get toasted. And you just go, man, isn't that so awesome? And you're going, just missed it. Lewdness. They've received it. They've turned it into an excuse for lewdness. Now, the idea behind this, this ancient idea of lewdness, it means sin that is practiced without shame. Mark that. Sin that is practiced without shame, without a, any sense of conscience or decency. And it usually has something to do with sexual sin or sexual immorality, but it's not limited to that. And I think really here, Jude is speaking, you know, both those that that preach a false or foreign gospel and those that are also practicing lewdness and licentiousness. 
It just lewd just means immoral. Ultimately, that's that's what it comes down to. And just know this. You know, we're called to contend the faith. I'll leave you with this this morning. If you stand up for your faith, there is going to be a target on your back. We're, we're seeing, you know, in these last days, men are becoming more and more lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They're becoming prouder by the day, disrespectful, disobedient. Well, I mean, the list goes on and on. And you think about the, the battle in the church today. Just look how far the church has come. How many denominations today embrace open homosexuality? A lot. How many churches today support a woman's right to choose whether to abort a baby that's alive inside of her womb? Churches. I'm not talking about the world. Churches. Things that would have been unheard of, maybe even just, what, 20, 30, 10, five years ago? And we're seeing churches, denominations dividing over these things today that are just so simple. And you go, why? Why? It's exactly what Jude, and we'll spend a couple more weeks and we'll walk through this because it's important that we, we start to understand it and why we need to contend for our faith. Because I can tell you this, if you don't stand for your faith, then quit complaining about all the things that are going on in the world because we have the truth. And, and people's lives are being changed every day by the truth for those who are willing to take the hits, those that are willing to stand up. Because there's that old expression, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And the church is falling for anything out of that fear of being rejected and not being accepted. You know, social media has done so much damage for the body of Christ because for so many people, it's about being accepted by the world. Well, James, the other half-brother of Jesus, put it like this. To be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God. We got to make a choice. We got to make a stand. That's the call that God's calling you and I to, is to once and for all in our life, is to earnestly contend to make a stand for this faith that's been entrusted to us. We can't be silent, but so many choose to. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't silent? <laughs> that he didn't just go about minding his own business? You go, no, but he went to a cross where he suffered and died. But his word declares, but for the joy that was set before him. You know that joy is what I'm looking at today. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised its shame. And there's people in your life, you raised your hand earlier, that don't know Jesus. Don't give up on him. Keep sharing the truth every place that you go. Don't be ashamed of it. Because one day, you know, and I've told you this before in the book of Revelation, it says one day in Revelation, he's going he's gonna to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And a lot of those tears are going to be tears of sorrow and shame. That we go, Lord, why didn't I? Why didn't I? I knew that it was true, but I was so proud. I was so concerned about what others thought about me or what they would say about me or they wouldn't like me or they wouldn't hang with me. And so, you know, I tried so hard to fit in. And then you'll be there and you'll see the only thing that was man-made in heaven, you'll see those nail-scarred hands. And because of grace, he will take you in his arms and he'll begin to wipe those tears from your eyes. But there'll be tears of sorrow that we live such a selfish, you know, me world. You know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I, I don't like to, you know, and you go, Hey, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch what he does in your life. He'll change you. That's how you'll know. Because you won't be the old you. You'll be the new you. Amen. Contend for the faith. Stand up for the faith. Let's stand to our feet and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for today. And Lord, this, this book is so amazing to me. It can be so encouraging on one hand, so convicting on the other. And Lord, I pray where there needs to be conviction today, uh, let that conviction settle in our heart where, Lord, we need comfort today. Lord, may your Holy Spirit bring that comfort. But for all of us, Lord, may we experience your peace, Lord, today. That peace can come by simply agreeing with you and saying, Lord, forgive me. Uh, Lord, as we say you know, about worship, for Lord, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. Lord, forgive me for what I've made of it. And Lord, forgive us. 
Lord, may we know that peace today. May we know your joy throughout this week. And Lord, may we share it openly with other people. There's nothing more exciting when, God, we get to tell people about your love. And for the very first time, people open their heart to it. And they find that their sins are forgiven. And their name then is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, that they know your mercy and your peace and your love. God, may you use us this week to magnify your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, will send you out with songs.